How's everybody doing? So glad you're here on this yucky, yucky weather weekend, but I am thrilled that you are here for family. What a great, great crowd. On the count of three, can we just welcome all the campuses? One, two, three. Welcome. So glad you are here. Sanford Campus praying for you guys over there. I know it's a big, big day for you. Praying for you, Columbia, Garner, Wake Forest, North Durham. I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, the school system around here closes the schools during massive, horrific snowstorms <laughs> like we're having right now. But anyway, I'm so thankful that so many of you have made your way over to the Hillsboro campus. It's just convenient that we have campuses uh, that are pretty close to each other. So, uh, And a special thank you to the Hillsboro campus for spreading wide your arms and welcoming the North Durham campus. And some of you might be here. I know you, you might be all over the place. But Hillsboro, Thikatown, Kenya, Kajongo, Kenya, Durham Campus Church Online, and the Monday night crowd. Man, give it up for all of them. Come on. <clears throat> And let me just say, if you've never checked out the Monday night crowd, let me just welcome you to the Durham campus. Monday night, 6.30, we would love to have you there as well. So glad you're here. I got a question that has absolutely nothing to do with my message today, but I'm just curious. Maybe I need some solidarity with some people. How many of you still have your Christmas trees up? Come on, come on. Raise them up high. Raise them up. Be proud with me. Come on. Be proud. That's a pretty good bit of you. Um, not that many, but again, I'm just trying to find some comfort. Yeah, ours is still up. And Amy Lynn just took a, a group of missionaries from New Hope Church to Kenya for 10 days. So I know my tree is going to be up for another 10 days. <laughs> and don't even care about it. And I actually like it. I lost Christmas this year. It was so busy. I couldn't even hardly find it during December. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the season leading up to Christmas is not the Christmas season anyway. You're like, what you talking about? It's Advent. It's Advent, and we're, if you know your church calendar, kind of the Christian year, we are officially now in the Christmas season. So I'm going to leave mine up, leave my candles up, play my Christmas music throughout January. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on. Some of you just got freed up with that right there. You need to stop doing what everybody else thinks you should do and do what you want to do. Can I get an amen? Hey, another show of hands. How many of you have seen the movie This Is Us? This is about the message. This is where we're going today. How many of you have seen the television show? This is us. Guys, it is awesome. You see people clapping over it. I mean, it, it, if you haven't seen it, maybe you've heard about it, but my wife and I are trying to get into the habit of watching it together, but we've been like ships passing in the dark. It's busy, and we're trying to. But this is an incredible, incredible television series that's a couple years old now. This is the family, okay? This is the family for This Is Us. This is Jack and Rebecca Pearson. And their three children are all born on the same day. And you might say, well, how did that happen? You need to watch the television show. <laughs> Kevin, Kate, and Randall, and they are known as the big three. And the reason this show has struck such a chord with me, like, guys, I, and I'm not a big television show watcher. Like, I watch two things on television usually. I watch sports and I watch news, and I love movies, but I don't watch much television. But this thing is awesome, and the reason it's such a good show is because it's raw. It's gritty. 
It's, it's real. In this movie, in this television show, they deal with real-life issues. They authentically go where very few television shows go. They talk about relational dynamics as it relates to love, marriage, alcoholism, addiction, death, grief, adoption, sibling rivalry, weight loss, foster parenting, and marital issues. And because this show is so raw and so gritty and so real, the Kleenex industry, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even kind of crack some humor without you even laughing. I was going to say the Kleenex industry has quadrupled since this show has come on the scene. And then I was going to say, that's a totally made up statistic. <laughs> but like you watch this man and the tears just, I mean, Crying is a big deal, kind of like this person, kind of like this person. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. For you Alabama people. Oh, yes, he did. No roll tide, roll tide this year. Clips and Tigers done smacked you all up. Or, or like this guy, or like this guy. I mean, come on. I mean, the crying, this movie just takes you there and it pulls on your heartstrings because it's, it's true to life. Like, that's what, I, that's what I want you to understand. And so if it's okay with you today, we're going we're gonna to be true to life. We, we talk about anything at New Hope. And we've always been that way. We don't, we don't shy away from the tough topics. And so it's just a really good television series that I recommend to you, and I'm not going to give the whole television series away, but I will say this, you should get very worried if a neighbor of yours gives you <laughs> the old crock pot, and you're like, what you talking about? The one's laughing, they know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to say anymore, but let's actually talk about what does it look like, or how might we prepare to try our best, if, if, if God calls us to get married, because by the way, there's nothing wrong with being single. That's the single people right there. But, but seriously, Paul would say, Paul would say, I, I highly encourage it. Don't you, you, marriage is tough, right? So there's nothing, but in our culture, in our society, we have so romanticized marriage that we start to tell ourselves all kinds of myths and all kinds of lies as if we're never going to be fully complete until we get married. But I want to talk today about where it all starts. In other words, I want to talk to you today primarily about dating. It will be some marriage stuff. But I want to talk to you about dating because stats now show us, and this is an accurate stat, not like the Kleenex one, but statistics show us that over 90% of the people in America will get married. Okay? So we need to figure out how to do it right. We need to be the church that actually learns to ground our life in the Word of God and not in the myths and secular messages that are out there for us. Uh, I came across an article recently. It was called Tips on Love from Those That Should Know. Tips on Love from Those That Should Know. And the kids were between the ages of 5 and 10 years old that they asked these questions to. Oh, what is the proper age to get married was the first question. What do you think? 
Judy, age eight, said the proper age to get married is when you don't have to work anymore and you can spend all of your time loving each other in your bedroom. <laughs> oh, because isn't that what all 84-year-olds do, right? Tom, age five, said this, the proper time to get married for me is going to be when I get done with kindergarten and then I'm going to find my wife. He's an overachiever. Here's the second question they ask between kids between ages of 5 and 10. What do most people do on a date? Mike, age 10, said this. On the first date, they just tell each other a bunch of lies, and that usually no, hold on. And that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. That's a perceptive kid. I don't care what anybody says. Concerning why love happens between two people. Why love happens between two particular people. Jan, age nine, says this. No one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That is why perfume and deodorant are so popular. <laughs> now, friends, I got a serious question for you. Where do kids come up with all that? Now, some of them just come up with it because they're just kids, right? And kids are great. Can I get an Amen. Well, some of them come up with some crazy stuff because we parents pass down some crazy stuff. And I mean parents in the church. What about this one, guys? You, you've probably said this. When our kids ask us, when they start growing up a little bit, you know, and they ask us, how will I know when I found the one? How will I know when I'm supposed to marry that one? We have forever said this. Oh, don't worry about that question. You'll just know. That's horrible advice. <laughs> it's terrible advice. So what I want to do today is I want us to run to the Word of God. Open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We were there last week, and even as I sat up here and I shared with you guys, there's a proverb for every day of the month because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And I asked you, hey, why don't you just in the, in the new year, if you want godly wisdom, to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. That would be a big start for some of you. When I said that, the Lord just impressed upon my spirit. While I was on this stage, I'm going to stay in the book of Proverbs this week. And so I want to just actually dig into this subject about Proverbs and about the Bible. And if you go and you read through the book of Proverbs through the lens of marriage, listen closely, through the lens of marriage, here is a summary of the book of Proverbs on marriage. And there's a lot of stuff in there on marriage. Here's a summary. Be very, very, I put two varies there on purpose. Be very, very careful because you don't know pain until you know marital pain. And did you kind of feel that settle in to the campuses? A lot of people right there just felt inside their soul a deep groan. Be very careful. So if you're a married person who's ended in divorce and you might want to date and get married again, be very, very careful. If you're a single person and you want to get married one day, be very, very, can I add a few more varies? Very, very careful. Because you don't know pain until you've experienced marital pain. 
The Bible says this out loud with me real loud. At all of our campuses on the count of three, go. One, two, three. Better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. And see, some of you are sitting here and you, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to sit in this ostentatious restaurant and eat this extravagant meal with a spouse and you've got all the, the fine things of the world, but there's no love in between you and the person sitting across the table or there is no conversation. Better to live alone in a tumble-down shack than share a mansion with a nagging spouse. <laughs> Get you some of that. Some, some of you are like writing that down. Dang, I didn't know that was in there. You, you, hey, you, here, here's, a, here's a rule. You cannot quote that to your spouse within the next 24 hours. Because then you will just be using me. Right? Better to live alone in a tumble-down shack. Some translations say, better to live on the corner of the flipping roof than be up in the house with a nagging spouse. Stop laughing so hard down front here. Better to live in a tent in the wild than with a cross and a petulant spouse. We don't use that word petulant much, but petulant, it means sulky, childish, or bad-tempered, okay? Better to live in a tent. Better to have your butt outside with no air conditioning and no heater and eating a can of sardines than be up in the house with a petulant woman. Or a petulant man. The newer translations say spouse. Women, aren't you thankful? Aren't you, th aren't you thankful I got really inclusive right there? <laughs> Unbelievable. It seems to me when it comes to marrying decisions, the wisdom of Proverbs is highly needed in our culture. And it's very straight forward. How can I avoid, this is the, if you're a single person, this is what you should be asking. How can I avoid all the warnings of heartache and pain that the Bible teach me? How can I avoid, if you want to get married again one day, how can I have a life like the movie This Is Us, a marriage built upon hardships, yes, but that continue to make it through. What I want to do with you today is I want to talk to you about Eight lethal mistakes to dating and marriage. Look at your teaching notes. Eight lethal mistakes in dating and marriage. And some of you right there went, whoa, he's going to cover eight of them. We're going to be here all day. Oh, no, we're not. I'm going to move fast. Buckle your seatbelts. But we're going to go get this today. Many of you have heard the name of Dr. Warren, Dr. Neil Clark Warren to be exact, who is the founder of eHarmony the dating website. And I can remember a day where it was taboo to even mention that you used a dating website. But I want you to know that I know a lot of people who do it now, and there's nothing really wrong with it. And in fact, there are some great Christian dating websites, if I'm not mistaken. Dr. Neil Clark Warren founded eHarmony, and um, he's a Christian psychologist. And he wrote a great book called Finding the Love of Your Life. And in this book, talks about eight lethal mistakes that we tend to make in dating. 
Here's the first one. Grab your teaching notes. Grab that pen. Buckle your seat belts because we're going to rock and roll through these. Mistake number one, marrying too quickly. Whenever a couple comes to me, and they're usually a young couple, and they're usually starry-eyed, and they're enamored with their new love of their life, and usually they just met that person about a month ago. And they come and they say, oh, pastor, will you marry us? I used to just say, well, we need to get you in pre-marriage counseling. But in my older years, I've just gotten much more to the point and direct. And I usually say something like this, time out. Do you have any idea what it means to say I do until death do you part? Do you have any idea what that means? I don't y'all funny. Like, what was what, what, I'm not trying to get serious. Y'all up there left. See, it must be the married people. Listen. <laughs> Listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. It means dirty dishes. It means financial fights. It means communication glitches. It means not wanting to get into bed with that person. It means time pressure. It means career struggles. It means mortgage payments. It means bouts of diarrhea. (laughs) It means fighting over whether or not you're going to watch the Monday night football game or Bachelor. (laughs) It means his hairline receding and his or her waistline expanding. Come on. And so you're going to tell me after a few weeks where you've, you've done nothing but maybe taking them out on a date or two that you're going to say I do for the rest of your life? Researchers at Kansas State University have discovered that long-term dating relationships generally lead to higher levels of marital joy and sustainability. Short-term dating relationships generally lead to higher levels of marital breakup. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, my grandma and grandpa (laughs) met at 13. They were married by 15, and they've been married 65 years. All right. I'm not saying it never works. I'm just saying it's not wise to get married too quickly. Related to that mistake number two, marrying too young. Marrying too young. Come on, come on. We don't let two-year-olds play with steak knives. And if you do, in the words of Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck. (laughs) She said We don't let nine year olds Drive an automobile And we I don't know if I'm ever going to get y'all in a serious mood But it's okay sometimes it's good We take it all in because some heavy stuff today You got to be careful With the whole age deal 
Here's a fact. Psychological experts now know that most human beings are still dealing with the fundamental questions of life up through their early to mid-20s. I know in previous generations they used to get married in the teens, but does that necessarily make it right? It was a different world back then. People in the late teens and the 20s and maybe even the early 30s, depending on who you are, they're still trying to figure out who am I? What is my purpose in life? What am I going to do with my life? What am I looking for? They're still figuring out core competencies, core values. Now, friends, trying to do all of that, all of that work, while you're trying to figure out your career and choose a mate till death you do part, is not an easy task. The point is to make sure you've grown up enough to decide to get married And make sure you've spent the right amount of time thinking that through and getting yourself ready, healthy, as whole as possible before you make such a big decision. Mistake number three. And I'm just going to tell you, this this was me. This was me. When I became a Christian at the age of 18, I was a high school dropout. Got back into high school, got my grades up high enough just to barely get into the University of South Carolina on academic probation. Declared pharmacy as a major, busted my butt, got into pharmacy school. Right about then, God started calling me into ministry. Got out of pharmacy school, got into Duke. And when I came to Duke, I want to be very, very transparent with you. I had two things in mind, but one was way more important than the other. The first was I was looking for a wife. And I said to God, hey, if you throw in a theological education on top of that, I'll be all right. <laughs> Just being real. I mean, I came to, the, to, to Duke and I was looking for, and, and I, looking back on it now, here's what I know. I was, I still had a lot of stuff to work out. I was still fresh in the faith. I still came from a very, very hard, hard life. And I, I was, I had insecurities, I had issues, I had hangups, and I'll get to this as the message unfolds. But some of us go into the marriage situation having some unrealistic expectations. That's one in a moment, I'll get to that. But for me, here it is, mistake number three, they're just too eager to marry. They're just too eager. Have you ever met anybody who all they want to do is get married? Like, they, they, they have fallen into the lie and the myth that they've been told that if I just get married, I will be complete. Do you believe that? Nobody's going to complete you except Jesus Christ. So, so some people are just too, they, they get in the marrying mood. You know what I mean? You, know, you, ever, you ever been in a car buying mood? You, 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 you've all been there. Some of you have got buyer's remorse right now. Like you go into the showroom, man, and you sit in the car, and you smell it, the new car, and you drive it, and it's awesome. And you're in, you're in the car buying mood. And there's nothing anybody can tell you. That salesperson has you right where they want you. And in the same way, some of us, we just tend to get in the marrying mood, man. This happens in our search for the spouse. And we end up compromising. We end up rushing into, listen, the second largest decision you will ever make in your life. The first 
largest, biggest, most monumental decision you will ever make in your life is who am I going to spend eternity with? In other words, am I going to be a Christian? Most important decision you will ever make. But the second most important decision you will ever make is who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? And if you get too eager, the chances are, the chances are, you've still got some stuff you need to work on, man. The chances are you're not ready for marriage yet. God can still work through it and fix you up together and all that kind of stuff. But you got to be careful, man. If all you think about, if you're just utterly obsessed with getting married one day. Reminds me of a, a younger woman who all she wanted to do was get married. Like, marry me, I need to find. She was always on websites and always going out on Friday and Saturday nights looking like maybe she shouldn't look because she was trying to catch somebody and all that kind of stuff. And she got around, she got around an older woman. And she met this older woman and, and the older woman was sobbing over an urn of ashes. An urn of ashes. And the older woman goes, <laughs> ugly cry. He, he was my fourth husband. And the younger woman was like, see there, I can't win for losing. This woman's got husbands to burn and I can't even find one. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> that's, that's borderline right there. Sometimes we're just too eager. Let me keep moving, keep moving. Number four, number four. Mistake number four. Too few shared experiences. Too few shared experiences. The Bible says that the purpose of marriage, listen closely, is intimacy and holiness. And the part of the reason some of us get all jacked up when it comes to marriage is we get into marriage thinking that the purpose of marriage is happiness. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage is holiness. Now, come on, let's just be honest. How many of you wish the purpose was happiness instead? Yeah, I know, I know. I'll never forget the first time I realized that the purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage surely isn't the other person making you complete because that's a farce, that's a lie. The purpose of marriage, biblically speaking, is intimacy with that person, intimacy with God, and it's holiness. And the problem with marriage today in our culture is that we tend, do we not, come on, come on, we tend to be so surface-oriented. We tend to look on the external, on the outside, instead of on the inside of a person. And that makes me think of this verse, and come on, why don't we read this out loud together at all the campuses. Ready, go. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, the Lord looks at the what? The Lord looks at the heart. And everything in our culture, come on, has us fixated myoptically obsessed and fixated with the outside. And I'm not saying the outside is completely irrelevant. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the inside, biblically speaking, the inside of a person's soul, the character or lack thereof, the purity or lack thereof, the integrity or lack thereof, the inside of the person that you are thinking about marrying single person is way more important 
than the outside. Come on, let me, let me see a show of hands. How many single women do we have in the house at all of the campuses? Raise them up. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. Raise them up, raise them up, raise them up. All right, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Single men, you should be looking around right now. <laughs> hold them up, ladies, hold them up. Some of you are like. <laughs> All right. So ladies, ladies, ladies. Now you can drop them. Guys, if you, didn't, if you didn't look around or you didn't make note, bro, you might die single. I'm just saying. <laughs> Which is all right. The Bible says that's fine. Ladies, when you, when you meet a man, what's one of the first things you ask? First, first things you ask. Here, here's, what, here's what ladies ask. Here's what they're wondering. They ask it out loud and they ask it inside. What does he do? True. What does he do? And guys do that too with one another. We size one another up by what we do. Right? All the single men. I wish I had a song to sing for the single men. Single men, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise them up high, man. Don't be ashamed, man. I see you, brother, own that thing. <laughs> raise them up. Raise them up high. Come on, come on. Raise All the campuses, raise them up. Raise them up. Ladies, you should be looking around right now. You should be looking around right now. Now, now guys, come on, bro. You and me, come on. What, what's the first question you ask? What's the first question you ask? Here's what, here's what you ask. Here's what you ask. You know it's true. She asked, what does he do? He asked, what's she look like? Right? Brother said, true. Thank you for owning your stuff, man. Thank you for owning your stuff. What does she look like? That brings us back to 1 Samuel 16, 7. God does not look on the outside of a person, but he looks on the inside of a person. So how do you get to see what's on the inside is what some of you might be asking. How do you do that, Pastor? Here's how you do it. You decide that you're going to stay in the dating process long enough to weather some tragedies together. Some have been so infatuated that they've never negotiated a major conflict together. They've never talked about their personal styles. They've never had hard conversations about money management. Some couples decide to get married and they've never walked in each other's vocational worlds before. Their relational worlds before. Some couples get married and they've never even prayed together. Friends, wait to get married until you have a wide variety of experiences together because then you'll begin to see what's on the inside of that other person. And guys, I'm not preaching at you. Like, I'm, I'm preaching with you and at myself. Like, Amy Lynn and I, God's grace has covered us. But let me tell you, like I told you, I want to do, I, I was looking for a wife. I was like an old buck in heat for the hunters out there. Any hunters in the house? I'm a hunter. I was a buck in heat. <laughs> Did I just do that? <laughs> my, my hunters really know what's up. That, for those of you who've never hunted before, one, you need Jesus. Number two, that's a buck. He scrapes the ground. I'm just saying. Um, I was, and and we, didn't, we didn't take long. 
Like we, we, uh, we, man, we met and we were married in nine months. And if we had not been so grounded in Christ together, who knows where we would be today? Okay, so that I'm getting ready to get to that towards the end of the message. But you got to be careful and make sure you know the person inside that you're getting into. Mistake number five. Let me pick up the pace a little bit. Being too tied to your parents. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Mm, mm, what should I say? I've been pretty inclusive up to this point in time. But I, I'm, I'm just going to say something. So, Ladies, sometimes we have our stuff, and I know men, this applies to men some of the times, but this can really apply to the woman. Some of you need to leave mommy and daddy at home. Talking to the men and the women. Some of you need to cut the flipping umbilical cord and grow up. Some of you need to leave mama and daddy. Hey, bro, if you're a mama's boy, come on. Nothing wrong with being a mama's boy. Okay, but mama's boys need to grow up. Mama boys need to actually do like Paul said. I put childish ways behind me, and you need to step into your future, move into your new apartment or your new home, and grow up with her. You need to grow up with him, and y'all need to leave your parents and cleave to one another. This is so incredibly important. How many of you remember this song? Young people will not have any idea what I'm talking about. But how many of you remember that song, Billy? Billy Boy? Billy Boy, watch this. Oh, where have you been, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Oh, where have you been? Some of you remember this, don't you? Oh, where have you been, charming Billy? I've been to seek a wife. She's the joy of my life. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Now, let's all up. When I first heard that song, I thought, well, she's probably 16, 17, 18 years old. Watch what the song sings about next. How old is she, Billy boy, Billy boy? How old is she, charming Billy? Three times six and four times seven, 28 and then 11. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Now, the mathematicians already know. You know what that is? That's 85 years old. <laughs> 85. And she still ain't cut the umbilical cord and stepped into her man. Bible, Bible says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are what? United what? The word for this last part, united into one, the Hebrew word, because this is Genesis, Hebrew word is hesed. H-E-S-S-E-D, hesed. The Bible is saying that a, mother, a woman and a man will leave their mother and father, be united to one another and Hesed. They literally become one. Sexually, yes. Spiritually, yes. Emotionally, yes. Hesed. But don't miss this. They leave father and mother. Now, as a parent, like I got five and I, I love them loving me. And I love when they need me and want me. But you know what? Some of that can get sick. And we got three in college now, and we have released them. 
and the relationship now becomes less authoritative and more friendship and all that kind of stuff. But when they get married, they need to leave even more and cleave to their spouse. Everybody say leave. Everybody say cleave. Put it together. Leave and cleave. If you are a single person and you want to get married one day, this is how you do it. You have to leave. You have to grow up. You have to make it on your own. You have to figure it out. I'm not saying you, 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 know, you divorce your parents. No. But every time you get in a little fight, you don't go running home to mama. You don't go calling mama and daddy. You get on your knees and you figure it out and you fight to save the marriage and you work together. You get help if you need help. And parents can be invaluable in that. If they're mature and you're mature, I get that. But there's a lot of unhealthy codependency going on between certain folks as they try to build their marriage relationship. And parents, let me just say this to the parents. That means we have to let them go. And sometimes we have to tell them, no, 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 you need to go figure that out. I love you. I'm always here for you. But guess what? I'm not going to get caught in the middle of that. I'm not going to be a part of your little triangle. You go work that out with Billy Boy. Lethal mistake number six. Unrealistic expectations. Oh, my. Unrealistic expectations. I got to move fast. Some people think that if they get married, then all my junk and all my needs and all my incompleteness is going to be satisfied and cured in my spouse. I got a big, big caution for you. That is not true. Your spouse will never complete you. I said this earlier. No one will ever complete you except the Lord Jesus Christ. Your spouse, quit putting unrealistic expectations on the person you are going to marry. Some people think that once they get married, all that they need, the love that they've always longed for, all the stuff that they got to work on inside will be cured. They go from their honeymoon thinking it's going to be nothing but bliss, 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 and happy, happy, happy. But a short time later, about two days later, <laughs> they realize that's not going to happen. And here's why Paul would say, hey, if you want to be single, it's okay. <laughs> Because watch this. But those who marry will face, face what? Not, not one, not a few, but will face many, will face what many what? Troubles in this life. Marriage is a wonderful gift from Almighty God. Can I get an amen from the married people? That was about half-hearted. <laughs> but it will not solve all your problems. And it will not make all your difficulties go away. In fact, the Bible says when you get married, you actually marry into a whole new set of problems. Because you're now two people, two imperfect people. Trying to serve a perfect God together. Write this down. Marriage reveals what romance concealed. 
I didn't even say that last service, so you came to the right service today. Marriage reveals what romance conceals. And many people get married sensing loneliness. They're not aware that they can't actually fall into a deeper aloneness. Many people get into marriage wanting to fix their relational junk from their previous life, not realizing that marriage will not do that. You have to do that as an individual child of God. Most folks don't realize what, and I'm going to give Pascal credit. He is a French mathematician or philosopher. But what I realized in writing this last book, because I mentioned this quote in the book, is that we can't really even verify that Pascal said this, but it doesn't matter who actually said it. It's a great quote. You were created with a God-shaped vacuum in your soul that only Christ Jesus can fill. Not a person. Not a thing. Only Christ can do that. Mistake number seven. One or both of you is, one of you is, or both of you are unhealthy. Lethal mistake. One of you or both of you is or you are unhealthy. And I'm not saying you got to be perfect or healthy when you get married. I'm not saying because none of us are ever there. Can I get an amen? We're all working progress, right? Come on. But some people step into the marriage covenant and they're still all jacked up. And they need, they might need some professional help. They might need to do some serious pre-marriage counseling with that person. They might need to read some good books together, whatever the case Maybe You know, we talked about getting a car earlier, walking into the showroom and smelling a new car. If you're going to buy a used car, some of you have done this. If you're looking at a used car, you'll take the VIN number, the vehicle identification number, and you'll go online and you'll plug that in, and it'll tell you everything about the car, will it not? And they call it what? Carfax. And the Carfax come back, and you, you know about the history of the car, the mileage of the car. Has it ever been crashed? Is it highway miles or whatever? You, you learn about the car. And the truth is, before you say, I do, to someone, you need to do everything you can to learn the facts about that person. What have they been through? What junk do they still have in the trunk? What do they bring into the marriage relationship. Are there qualities about this person, traumas, damage, heartbreaks that they've been through? And listen, if you find yourself on the dating highway, if you will, heading towards marriage, but something inside of you, you sense that you need to get off of the nearest exit ramp as soon as possible. Come on, come on. Get off. It's better to end a dating relationship or an engagement than a marriage. So listen to that still, small voice. Watch out for your own unhealthiness. Watch out for the unhealthiness of the person that you're about to say, I do with. <laughs> Reminds me of a... 16-year-old boy, I got, a, I got a 15-year-old boy, Caleb now, he's in driver's school. Reminds me of a 16-year-old boy, he'd been through driving school, and he got where he could drive with the family. And so the big day came for his inaugural drive. And so they went out there, and they all jumped in the car. And the 16-year-old boy jumped behind the steering wheel, and he was ready to go. And dad, to his surprise, dad jumped in the seat right behind him. 
And the 16-year-old boy looked in the rearview mirror and said, Hey, Dad, I guess you're going to sit back there so you can get a different view because you've had the front seat view all these years. Now you want the back seat view. And his dad said, Nope. I'm sitting back here so I can kick your daggum seat like you did mine for all those years. <laughs> the, the dad had some issues, right? He had, he had some bitterness that he had to work through. And some of us need to do that. And some of the people that we're thinking about saying I do too might need to do that. And some of you might need to take a slow down time out to let each of you either together or individually work on all of this together. You've heard this. This is not new. Hurt people hurt people. And you got to be careful to who you say I do with. Wrapping it up, here we go. Mistake number eight, marrying a total opposite. We've all heard this growing up. Opposites what? Opposites attract. How many of you, show of hands proudly, how many of you married someone who is extremely opposite from you? Yep, that's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. Here's the deal. Check it out. What's surprising about that is we've been told that our entire lives, and it's actually a myth. The myth is opposites of track, but check this out. Research is now in on this, and it all points to the fact, listen closely, the single greatest factor in making marriage work over the long haul is similarities. Similarities. Not that God can't take two opposite people and they have a wonderful marriage, but some new research has come out. And this is how the whole opposite attracts things. This is how we buy into it if we're not careful. An all-business, no-nonsense doctor, if you will, meets a bubbly, vivacious, free-spirited, outgoing flight attendant. Before the marriage... Before the marriage, she says, he's so responsible and smart. After the marriage, she says, he's so stifling and boring. Before their marriage, he says, I love her spontaneity and free spirit. But after the marriage, he says, I've married an airhead. (laughs) Opposites can be good, but the point is, research is showing, don't undervalue, don't underestimate similarities. This includes similar interests, similar values, similar energy, similar backgrounds, similar ideas, similar in how you're going to raise your children. And friends, let me add this, and I'm done. The single greatest similarity that you should desire and look for in a spouse if you are a Christian is whether or not that person is a Christian. I didn't say is whether or not that person goes to church. Whether that person is a sold out, born again, all in Christ follower. And I hear young couples all the time say, well, he's not there, she's not there, but pastor, I just believe that if we get married, I'll eventually win them over to the Lord. 
I hate to break it to you. It hardly ever happens. Why? Because we all have this gravitational pull towards sin, towards complacency. So usually the believer doesn't pull the unbeliever up. Usually the unbeliever pulls the believer down. Come on, let's read final few verses of Scripture together. Go. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? This is another way of looking at this verse, which you've all heard before. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. But you say, he's so cute. I don't care. You say, she's a knockout. I don't care. Look at the inside. And if you are a believer... Make sure he or she is a believer. It's the remember I said there's two most important decisions. The first is who are you going to spend eternity with? Are you a Christian? The second is who you're going to marry. Make sure that second question, one of the qualifications, not a Benji qualification, a biblical qualification, because God knows what is best for you. Make sure he or she is sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when the heartaches come, nothing will get you through like God will get you through. When the medical prognosis comes and it's not good, nothing will get you through like God will get you through. When the bottom falls out of your vocation, nothing will get you through like God will get you through. When your relationships clamor, nothing will get you through like God will get you through. When you lose a mama or a daddy, nothing will get you through like God will get you through. So if you're in the dating game, I pray you'll take these eight things and you'll put them to memory. You'll put them somewhere where they stay in front of you. And moms and dads, parents, let's teach our children. Let's just not say, oh, don't worry. You'll know when it's right. No. You take those children by the hand. You lead them in the way of the Lord. And you teach them what the Bible says about dating and marriage. And may God receive all the glory and the honor now and always in the church. Come on, now and forever. To God, to God be the glory, both in our dating and in our marriage. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you today. And we thank you for who you are. God, I ask that you bless my friends. God, I thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. Thank you for not pulling any punches and laying it straight out so that we can understand it. Father, we do pray for our kids. And when I say our kids, Lord, I don't just mean our biological kids. We pray for the kids of this church. And we pray that they would grow up to make wise 
Marian decisions. We pray that we would be good molders and shapers of them in this regard. And Father, I pray for those people among us who are in relationships right now that could lead to marriage. I pray that you would give them courage to know deep down if they need to end it right now. And yet that is so hard, God, so I pray that you give them courage. Fill them with boldness and peace. And Father, I pray for those couples who sit here right now and maybe they just need to slow down and give serious considerations to what your word has taught us today. And God, give those who know deep down that they're ready for marriage. They know they found the right one. They're ready to honor you with their marriage. Give them the courage, God, to move forward and make a lifelong commitment. And maybe not wait any longer. Father, keep your hand on this series and all the relational dynamics we experience in dating, in marriage, in families, and with people we love. Father, I pray for the couples who are here and they are already married. And it's hard. And Father, they're trying to do it right. Would you give them extra grace? Would you give them extra truth? Would you give them extra stamina and ability, Father God, to realize that you are a God who works in the midst of challenges. You are a God who will build something beautiful out of the ashes. So, Lord, bless them. God, would you bless the dating and the marriages of New Hope Church. And may you receive all the glory and the honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to sing a great song. And they're going to receive today's tithes and offerings. And um, when that basket passes, you stand where you are. We're going to sing this great song called Fountains. For those of you who give online, there's an online card in the chair pocket. Grab that and drop that in the basket. But this is our chance to honor God and honor Him well and worship Him well with our finances. We're going to sing a song at the end, and it's called Fountains. We've done it before, but listen to the words of this song. All that I've ever wanted, my heart is found in you. And I've tasted life, and nothing satisfies like you do. The fountain that won't run dry, nothing satisfies like you do. And then the last part of it says, all my hope is built on your love. I love this next part. And with every breath, with what? With every breath, I will live for you, Lord. When it passes, you stand to your feet. You guys worshiped so well earlier. Just stand to your feet and just sing this out with all that you have in it. If you're sitting with your spouse, maybe you put your arm around your spouse or hold his or her hand. If you're dating and you're with somebody you're dating, maybe you hold their hand and you get away later and you talk about these things. And church, let's keep praying for the folks that we have among us who are trying to figure out this thing called marriage. Amen? Amen. Here we go.